Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s inspired style and cutting edge performance technology with its sleek mid cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi piece upper construction delivers high energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at NewBalance.com. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Tennis Channel Insight in on the Tennis Channel Podcast Network. Mitch Michaels here, Santa Monica Studios. U.S. Open is a couple days underway. And now joined on the show by somebody who's been at the event on site, uh, making some time for us here, reoccurring guest on the show, Gil Gross. Thanks for joining uh, to talk U.S. Open. And we had to get you on video just to clamor the fan base on YouTube because they were just not <laughs> happy you didn't have any video. Mitch, it's a, it's a pleasure. I'm glad my people really pressured you into putting me on camera uh, despite my face. Yeah, I mean, I, they didn't say why they did want you or didn't want you. I mean, that you said that, not me. But uh, we, can, we can start here. There's a lot of storylines at the U.S. Open. You're there. You're covering it. Uh, but I want to know the backstory of your origins at the Open being a ball boy because that's where it at. You posted that photo with you in the, in the Chorich match <laughs> way back when. So was that what really got you hooked on just tennis in this tournament is, you know, having duties too. You weren't just there as a fan. You were there to work as a kid, as, as a ball boy back in the day. Yeah, so first ever tennis match I ever attended, 2009 U.S. Open final, Roger Federer, Juan Martin Del Potro. That I'm is familiar. a big part. <laughs> yeah, that was a, I, I don't know that I've, I don't know, it's sentimental, but I kind of want to say that the first match I ever watched live was the best match I've ever watched live to, to this date. Um, but yeah, so that was kind of the start. Then I become a, a ball kid in 2013. I do it again in 2014. And uh, then starting last year, I uh, work for my, you know, the first time I'm working for a slam uh, at, for uh, U.S. Open Radio. So, uh, and I, I grew up um, about 15 minutes away from the Billie Jean King National Tennis Center. So this is a home. It is my home slam. It has treated me well uh, throughout the years. It, it certainly means a lot to me. Yeah, and, uh, you know, I, I think that just being a native New Yorker, you understand the significance of it and the fact that I know you were there last year to work your first year, but it does feel full-on back. And I know Serena and, and the retirement tour has a lot to do with it, but the grounds are popping again. I know last year they, they kind of were, but do you get that sense that we're fully fully back to this being the true U.S. Open feel? Yeah, it's we're back to not being able to move on the grounds and, uh, you know, everything moving two miles per hour because there's too many people everywhere. Uh, but it's it's great. Like, that's what you love, in, in all honesty. And, and you look at the numbers, they continue to uh, set records, attendance records, night session record last night uh, with Serena, uh, it was also a record on Monday, and uh, that is fantastic to see. The crowds have been really, really good. Before before we get to Serena and, and what happened last night and that experience, I do want to mention as well, having helped out with the Tennis Bet show and everything going on there and just paying attention to the Open and majors, and now we're playing best of five tennis on the men's side, you really start to see the trend, and, and I'm as bullish on these young players, Gil, especially these young American players as anyone, 
But these five setters are so brutal physically and mentally that you almost get the sense, I think hindsight's everything, but experience and, and having been there before, it's just been huge. So many five setters have just come down to the player that's older, wiser, and in a little bit better shape. Yeah, uh, there's there's like a lot on the line. So nerve management and certainly the, the physicality, it's been humid. Uh, yesterday was a little bit uh, more mild, but uh, I, I, you know, I'm not sure exactly what results you're referring to. I'm sure a handful, but I was at the Tommy Paul Sebastian Porta match yeah. uh, yesterday. And that that's a situation where I do favor Tommy physically. Mm-hmm. Maybe when when Paul was 22 years old, it would have been a different story. But at this point, it's clear he's yeah. incredibly physical and he's able to win a five setter in the first round over Zapata Mirais, where I think he was feeling a lot of pressure in that match because he was 0-4 mm-hmm. at US Open main draws. So that takes five sets, but it doesn't destroy him for the next round. Right. He's able to win a five setter against Corda. Yeah, I was looking at uh, Holt and Shelton, those two matches in particularly. Ben yeah. Shelton, who, I, I mean, I'm, obviously we're all kind of on that train, but watching that match, I'm like, has he ever played a five-setter before? I would have to think. And then, you know, you're playing someone that's just getting everything back, and it's frustrating. And I, you just, there's only a couple tournaments, right, that we, that we even play best of five anymore. So I always think experience kind of factors, and especially early on, out of the gates. Let's talk about Serena Williams. She beat the number two seed in the tournament last night, Annette Contevate, in three sets. And, you know, much is going to be made about where we go from here, but just staying in the moment. That was that was some vintage flashes, and that was the old aging veteran with a couple punches left, not going down without a fight. But I saw a big ace on set point in the first set tiebreaker, and I thought, wow, that was familiar. And then, Gil, I think the other thing that stood out to me was the reset. The, the classic Serena loses a set. Resets, kicks into high gear in set number three. Uh, to expect her to be where she was at her all-time best is unfair, but I think seeing her fight out there and seeing the crowd lift her is one of those moments that's cool and it's going to stand the test of time. I think we got to just understand the moment, the weight of it, and appreciate any Serena that we do have left. Yeah, this was kind of the agassiz Baghdadis match again when Andre, on his last leg, was able to take out uh, the the young man at the time from from Cyprus, which he wasn't expected to do. This is probably on an elevated scale. I think Serena's influence and popularity even surpasses that of of Andre. Um, and you know, to be to take out the world number two. I mean, look. At the same time, we knew that Contivate wasn't quite playing like the world number two. But you had a couple of factors coming in. Uh, one, I think Serena really feels a weight lifted off her shoulder. She got the win over Donka Kovinic. She got the tribute, the celebration. She won in front of all of her friends, which include many very powerful and famous mm-hmm. people. And uh, I, I just think she came into that match feeling, in her words, like she already won. Like she, yeah. like she was going to be good regardless of the outcome. And we know how much that helps tennis players. It, it lets you play so much better when you feel a sense of freedom. Uh, and then you had the crowd, which I think not only lifted Serena, but rattled Contivate. Yeah, and you could see it. I mean, you could hear her in the press conference. She seemed a little bit off by it. Um, understandably, you're playing an all-time great, the all-time great at home. Uh, and the tribute you said, it's true. If they play that video after a loss, it's not the same. Like, it, it's just not. That's just how it works. So to have her get that video after a win is huge. Uh, you know, and, and we mentioned the draw kind of being favorable. Iowa Tomjanovic next. There's opportunities there. 
But the one thing I don't want to do, Gil, is just start glossing over any of these women in this draw, especially given how women's tennis has been. But, yeah, you have to feel like Serena at this point is confident. She's going to have crowd support. The concerns that I have would just be recovery, having gone late into a tournament, which she hasn't done in, in over a year now. But it was very, very cool to see her out there enjoying tennis. And I think that's going to be the takeaway from this U.S. Open, whether it ends with one match or a couple more, that she's out there having fun and the crowd is just very appreciative of seeing her one last time. Yeah, the scenes have been remarkable, Mitch. I have now, I, would, I got to be in the building um, for the Kovinich match at the beginning and the end. And when she walked out, it looked like a Beyonce concert with almost everyone filming it yeah. on their phones. And and like when you see 15,000 people all with their phones out at the same time, there's a certain look um, to that. And then the standing on match point uh, is something I've also never, ever seen. And I talked to uh, Steve Flink and Joel Drucker, who writes for tennis.com, Steve Flink, a Hall of Famer. These guys have been covering the sport uh, for uh, combined, I think, 80-plus years. Uh, both of them told me they had never seen yeah. an entire stadium stand for match point. So uh, the energy that this farewell run is providing is literally unprecedented. Before we move on to some other players, what are your thoughts on, for the first time ever, we're going to have doubles in the night session at Ash? I mean... Love if there it. ever was a time, this would be the time. Serena and Venus playing together for the last one. <laughs> yeah, I love that. And I, I love that Serena also kind of has two lives here because if she loses in the singles or the doubles, she'll have the other one, mm -hmm. uh, which I think is a nice cushion for yeah. her. Um, yeah, I'm not concerned about that. I think I think the fans are going to eat that up. That's what scheduling is really all about. You have to... You have to figure out, you know, what do the fans want and whatever matches in the most demand, mm -hmm. you put that on Ash. Yeah. Simple as that. So I think that the tournament organizers are going to be proven correct with this move to put Serena and Venus on Ash. I'm a little bit more concerned about Kyrgios and Kokonakis on Armstrong for the night session. I don't know that that's going to play out like it did in Australia, but yeah. all we can do is wait and see. Well, it's going to be good for the uh, singles match on that same court. We won't be going as long with doubles being a little shorter. So that's been not as big of an issue. We saw it last night with Armstrong going well into the night, just well, well into the night. More on this in, in a little bit when we talk about women's tennis, but I did want to get your thoughts as the host of three, the podcast on the Tennis Channel Network. Rafael Nadal's early form, he wins in four sets. You know, it wasn't great. He lost the first set and you know, always has been rounding into form. But I think the fair question, Gil, is he hasn't had match play. He's coming off of injuries, just two hardcourt matches under his belt now this season. How do you assess his form and his ability or maybe inability going forward in this tournament to ramp up as he tries to get major number 23? It's going to have to get better, but but the draw is, is there for him uh, for that to happen. I mean, Fabio Fanini in the next round, that is a name that certainly scares fans of Rafa Nadal based on the history. There was even, I think in 2014, Fanini coming back yes. from down two sets to love uh, against Nadal. But uh, Fanini is not the same player. You know, he's fallen outside of the top 50. He's, you know, I've seen him in a lot of qualifying draws recently just to kind of give 
uh, uh, some perspective on, on where he's at in his career right now. He comes off of a five-setter over Aslan Karatsev. I still feel like if Rafa gets to a point where he is serving at 100%, then it is actually his tournament to lose, especially because Daniil Medvedev might have to overcome certain hurdles that that could prove to be very very difficult if yeah. you look at especially a Nick Kyrgios who loses in his section perhaps a, a red hot Pablo Pereño Busta it's a good point I think the serve is is something to monitor something with Rafa who oddly enough I think on match points it's always he's hitting hot shots better than anybody which is funny yeah. to see uh, Medvedev is somebody that has been going under the radar, which is kind of crazy because all he's done at the U.S. Open and really hardcore majors is go deep into the tournament. I, I would say that if Medvedev gets to the final, that is a, <laughs> that probably is proof that he's playing in pretty good form having overcome that draw. But yeah, Rafa's thing has always been fitness, how he is overcoming the injury and just staying healthy. But I'm with you. The draw is, I, I, <laughs> it's tailor-made for him. Like he couldn't have dreamed of a better one, I would think. Yeah, uh, that that's how I see it. That's how I think most people saw it as soon as uh, as the draw came out. Really, um, now you know Pam Nori. He hasn't really been able to show up against the elite of the elite at slams. Those matches generally haven't been competitive. At the same time, his results overall suggest that uh, you should never count him out. Right. So that's the potential quarterfinal. Uh, but but again, I think one match at a time. Second round, Fanini. Uh, that is uh, that's a good spot for for Rafa. And again, you know, we've seen this major format: best out of five sets, days off in between, one twenty-eight draw, thirty-two seeds. Mm -hmm. If there is a format that allows you to play into form, it is this one. Well, we know Fabio's a little crazy too, so we'll see. That could help him. That could hurt him uh, in the match coming up. <laughs> Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s-inspired style and cutting-edge performance technology with its sleek mid-cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi-piece upper construction delivers high-energy return for players of all levels, whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out. The Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at NewBalance.com. Uh, Gil Gross here on Tennis Channel Inside In, uh, just going around the grounds with some thoughts on some players, some good, some bad. How about this for some good? Jack Draper is on the scene and emerged as one of the next guys. And I'll be honest, Gil, I thought he had a chance to beat Felix, but to do it in straight sets and to serve at the clip that he has, very impressed with how he's kind of rose up and over time this year, not flash in the pan, has beaten good players, but also his serve is becoming one of the premier ones in the game. And I'll flip it on you. Do you think, are you shocked at how Draper's put himself in this position and how fastly he's done it? Yes and no. Uh, I, I think the one thing outside of all of his technical capabilities that has stood out about Draper is uh, this man loves the bright lights. Some yeah. young players shrink under him, and and he does not. And that's the first thing I said when I, I the first match I ever saw him play was against Djokovic center court at Wimbledon. Uh, I believe on day one of Wimbledon, yeah. which is a really nervous position to be. He won the first set mm -hmm. in that match, and I was like, whoa, okay, this this guy really uh, he likes this, he <laughs> yeah. loves this. Uh, and then he beat Stefano Tsitsipas night session in Canada. 
uh, a couple uh, a couple weeks ago, earlier this month, and now he's uh, again under the lights against the number six seed, and uh, he really outclassed uh, Felix in this match, who was struggling with his backhand. Uh, but you know, I love that Draper is a baller in the big matches. He brings his best. He he relishes uh, those moments. And Felix, I think he came in with a lot of stress about you know that came from defending those semifinal points. Yeah. Well, the the one thing on Draper I will say is that you hit the nail on the head. He is very comfortable in these situations. He's comfortable dealing with adversity and the ups and downs that come with the big match and. I think he is here to stay. We'll see what the ceiling is. We're going to have to see more tennis and more situations there. Felix's situation is is a little different, obviously, and it's it's unfortunate where he's at. If you would have if we would have had this conversation after Australia, we would have looked at one of the most consistent major performers in at least the last year. Since then, it hasn't been good, and there's different ways to point to it. There's matchups. Cressy at Wimbledon's a tough draw. This isn't a great draw either, but he's just not getting it done in these in these big stages at this point, do you think it's technical? Do you think, like, as you said, the pressure might be something? Is there is there areas in his game that he can improve? Why is Felix in a rough patch right now? I used to, I used to think it was technical uh, with his second serve not having a kick serve, struggling to get it to the righty backhand, uh, not really being malleable with his court position, not being able to be comfortable moving forward, not having good shot selection, going for too much on his forehand, his backhand being rather pedestrian. I used to look at a lot of things, and uh, I just thought Felix needed to improve some things technically. At this point, I don't feel that way anymore because I saw the full array earlier this year, Mitch, which is exactly what you alluded to. I saw his his movement get so much better, uh, being willing to defend, uh, making good decisions in baseline rallies, getting consistent with his forehand. I've seen all these things, and uh, now uh, I do think it's mental. Uh, I think he needs to look at how he carries himself on court and start to think about if there are better ways uh, that that he can get himself out of a funk. Because mm-hmm. Mitch, he is he is the nicest guy in the world. He is the classiest guy in the world. It feels like sometimes he curls into a ball and shells up and puts yeah. all of his emotions inside of him and doesn't let them out. And uh, he gets this deer in the headlight look. You don't see any negativity out of him. You don't see any positivity out of him. Yeah. He becomes desolate. Uh, and that is what we saw in a high pressure situation against Casper Ruud in Canada. Exactly uh, what I was, was going to say. <laughs> yeah. When he was playing in front of, you know, his home crowd in Montreal. And I thought we saw it again last night. You know, I, I think Felix needs an outlet. I'm not a sports psychologist, but I know that there can be some value in letting go some of your emotion. And it doesn't need he doesn't need to become a racket smasher, uh, but, but do something. Mm-hmm. Yell, uh, squeeze the tennis ball, let it out in some kind of way because whatever he's doing now isn't really working. It's also so fascinating and, and shows you how much the pressure is on some of these players that we anoint to be the next guy. And how on the flip side, a guy like Draper or even look at someone doing well in this tournament so far, Matteo Berrettini kind of came onto the scene without the hype of other players in their era. Felix has been anointed, deservedly so, for everything you said skill-wise, how classy he is as one of the next guys, and it's just been a lot of pressure. So we hope that Felix can turn it around. It was a disappointing end to his, se- to his major season. 
a lot of tennis left for him. I hate to bring it up too as we keep on the disappointment train, but Gil, what is <laughs> I say? What is going on with Stefano Sitsipas? Because there's something clearly wrong here. And I'll credit you. You were one of the first people on the train at the at the Cincinnati final. It's a close match. George is playing well. Good to see him back in the mix. But two points. You heard Courier on the broadcast. Sitsipas was checking out in the middle of a Masters final, and you see how he starts this match. And I I don't know tactically what's going on I know he can play smart tennis but sometimes it's like he mentally checks out so I guess I go back to the question what's going on with Stefano <laughs> Sitsipas yeah I don't know uh <laughs> it it is it does appear that mentally he uh has been really all over the place up and down in and out uh he's just not I mean look tennis is an exercise of focus you know can you focus for three hours or more. Uh, and, you know, lately, Titi Pass has looked, you know, very distracted. Uh, he has looked to his equipment at times. He has looked to his elbow at times. He has looked to his father at times. He is making silly decisions um, at times with, with passing shots, trying to go through the middle, which I take no moral issue with. Uh, but also, he's losing most of these points. Uh, there have been many occasions, you know, Draper, Kyrgios at Wimbledon, Draper in Canada, where he's losing points where he has a sitter because he's trying to, to hit yeah. the ball at his opponent. Where, again, it's not that I'm clutching my pearls and saying uh, this is dangerous. It's that, why are you losing these points? Mm -hmm. Just just hit, make a better decision here. And then, yes, Mitch, there was the effort uh, in the Torch match where it felt very clear something bad would happen and you would see the next couple points he would sulk and his effort level would go down. So yeah, uh, Pass is someone who uh, generally as a young player has been a very hardened competitor when it comes to effort level. And we haven't quite seen that recently. I look back to the Roger Federer match in Australia where he was pretty much on the scene beating him in that major and all the break points that he saved against Federer. And I, it, I, I use that as a point of reference, Gil, because this is more frustrating to me than I would even say Nick Kyrgios at his low moments because Sitsipas has proven that he is in great shape, that he can play smart tennis. His arrogance on the court has helped him, like how confident he is. The, I almost think at this point the coaching situation, the dad relationship, that's almost like a cop-out. A lot of players work with their parents and have ups and downs, and there is no excuse for not putting forth great effort. And if you want to be one of the best, which I think, I mean, I'm still a fan of his game and what he can do and his potential, but you can't have these dips. You can't, I mean, Rafa, Joker, Federer, and not just, you can even go to Murray and guys that have won majors like Stan and even Chilich. Like, you cannot have these dips where you just check out at any moment in a major match, especially, and, and we've seen it time and time again. I think, you know, he has always marched to a beat, to a different beat, uh, to his own drum, so to speak, but... There is something here that's more than tennis that's affecting him because the game has always been there. And that's where I'm worried because he's starting to teeter more than I've seen him before. I, I agree. It, it is worrisome because uh, it, it's a regression. You know, you're right. I, that's the concern is that it wasn't, you know, he's not a young player who's always had this. It, it mm -hmm. used to be a lot uh, more steady. So, so I'm not sure what's happening. But you make a super interesting point about the father-son relationship. And uh, I think there's a ton of validity to it. 
The only thing that might make this different is just how active it is. You know, Apostolos is literally in Stephanos's ear now all the time. You know, I, I was I was live at the match. I was watching the dynamic between those two. Uh, Stephanos is not allowed to just play on his own. You know, Apostolo, there is constantly interaction. And uh, you just have to wonder, what is the effect of that? Is that taking Stephanos away from the moment? Is he feeling a certain way about the things that he is hearing from his box? Um, and, you know, is that causing the certain, you know, emotional ups and downs? I don't know. It's going to be interesting to see a lot more tennis to monitor in his career, but we just hope it gets better. Uh, let's let's try to focus on some positives now. One of those being Andy Murray. He's won two matches, keeps going. I think the Andy Murray experience now, Gil, is let's just stay on the court as long as possible, uh, which which isn't going to help him as he goes forward. He he is a fighter. Mark Petchy told me he'll be fighting the rest of his life in something in some way, shape, or form. But. It is, it is always inspiring to see Murray out here battling, given what's happened through the years. And, you know, that second-round match, he was against it, in the heat, everything. Talk about not wanting to check out. There were tons of opportunities to do so. But Andy Murray's still keeping it going and still proving that he's a dangerous out in a best-of-five match. Yeah, Sarundalo in the first round uh, was, you know, someone I, uh, you know, I, I thought it was going to be difficult for him. And he ended up uh, really just maneuvering the ball around the court and and Sorrentolo was uh forced to hit a lot of backhands and um it was a, a great match for Mandy and then he gets through Nava um in in the second round the Berrettini matchup is fascinating because traditionally it should be a, a great matchup for Andy because he's got the great return and uh you know he can get into those rallies with Berrettini, which is which is where he's vulnerable, uh, but the question is where is the return really at? I mean, Mitch, you know, he still doesn't have big weapons, mm. so it's always going to be a fight. Uh, you know, I think he's tried to transform himself into a guy with uh, a point finishing forehand yeah. or uh, a bigger first serve or whatever it be. It's just not happening for him. So you know, Andy is going to be yeah. Andy. Uh, grinder Andy and I mean that term you know I use that term affectionately it looks like for the foreseeable future well this is an opportunity and, and especially for Berrettini with Fritz and Tsitsipas out the quarter kind of looks at his realm he's made the semis before wasn't able to play Wimbledon but he's somebody that's very dangerous and, and Murray is going to fight so that's a good one and uh, I do have to give a shout out to on the positive side, Brandon Holt for knocking off Taylor Fritz after going through qualifying. Just an awesome moment for him, you know, and, and Tracy Austin, the whole family, everybody proud of him. But I brought up the point uh, the other day, Gil, I, I think this was rooted in the fact that Holt knew Taylor Fritz, grew up with him. I don't think he was necessarily afraid of taking the court with him. There was that mental block that a young player has with taking the court with an established guy, but when it's still relatively your peer, I think that kind of keeps the confidence there. Yeah, when you when there's such a surprising result as that was, you do look to some of those dynamics. And obviously, the fact that they grew up together was uh, was was possibly played in there. Uh, I mean, Taylor did not play up to to his standards, right? And uh, clearly, he had put a lot of pressure on himself. What he said after the match. 
uh, was certainly noteworthy. You know, I've, I've haven't, you rarely see a player that honest. He said that he was embarrassed. He said that he can't play a match like that. Uh, he said that, you know, he, he basically scolded himself uh, for his performance. Uh, so, yeah, I, I couldn't catch the match. You know, duty called on other courts. But that was a really surprising result. I had Fritz in the final. Oof. Uh, well, you can't have a perfect bracket every year. But I do think no. there's something to be said about the pressure that you get to a top 10 seed. You're at your home slam. It's tough. Uh, before before we transition to the women's side again, shout out to Brandon. Hold on. I'm making it through qualifying and doing that. If I'd ask you right now, which American man goes the furthest in this tournament, who would it be? With with Brooksby up a set right now into the second on George. Sure. Okay, well, I, I haven't studied the draw in preparation for this question, but Tommy Paul might be off to the races That's here. That's the answer, I think, because the Court of Paul match was setting up to where whoever won that match had a golden opportunity. I do think it's Tommy Paul. Uh, Francis would, I think, get rough if he gets to round four. Is it rough? I think so. That would be yeah. kind of tough. But I think the quarterfinals are in play uh, for Paul. Certainly, Chris Eubanks gets center today. That's a tough one. But you know, again, just to get this far is great. And Brooksby is still everybody's least favorite player to play for, at least for the first time. Because the first time you play Brooksby, you're just like, what the heck is this? Is this even tennis? Yeah, totally. Uh, it's uh, Brooksby's had a strange season. He's looked great. He's looked awful, and there hasn't been a lot in between. Uh, and everybody hates him. <laughs> it seems <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, not maybe not the fans, but in no, the locker the, yeah. room. I, I really do think. I, I do. I do think that if Brooksby has a, a lot of success, he will be very much embraced in New York, and I think he was a little bit last year. Uh, it's just going to be interesting to see in best of five. If, uh, if he's ready to really make a run physically, because last year he broke down. By the time he got to Djokovic, he was injured. And I wonder if this best-of-five set format isn't going to suit him well because of just how physical he needs to play. I agree with that, and I'm a fan of anybody that's different, that plays a different style. You don't have to be the most liked. And, uh, I mean, it's clear that I think within the American circle – a lot of these players are friendly with each other, came up together. Brooksby's the outsider. He plays that role well. It's good to have another variable there. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Uh, now we transition to the women's side of the U.S. Open with uh, Gil Gross here on Tennis Channel Inside In. Uh, a lot of different players to look at. Coco Golf came into this tournament as the second favorite with a favorable draw that's even more so. And she also cracked 128-mile-an-hour serve the other day. So I, I, she, she's coming for Serena's record. I think it's smart money that she will eventually have the fastest serve in women's tennis. But the Coco side of things is a lot of pressure, but a player that definitely at her age – seems capable of handling the moment. So, Gil, I would transition it to oh, yeah. she might have issues with actually technically with her serve, with the forehand at times, but I don't doubt for a second that she can't handle the expectations that have been placed on her. Oh, my goodness. I, I could not agree with you more. She has, like, the best head on her shoulders that you could possibly 
ask for. And like, I, I would even include Serena and, and, and Venus in that. Like she, she loses well, she wins well, she competes well, she handles pressure, she's cerebral. Um, again, yeah, it's like, it's really about matchups with her. And, you know, we talk about the forehand. I know that you and I have, have discussed that, uh, you know, if it can be rushed or if she does happen to get tight, um, there there can be issues with, with that side. But yeah, I, it just feels like Coco is ready. And it's, a, it's an interesting passing of the torch here because this is by far the U.S. Open where Coco comes in as the best version of herself and, and actually a title contender for the first time. I mean, last year she was seeded for the first time at the U.S. Open, and uh, but there were there was not any kind of expectation that, that she could contend for the title. Now, as Serena says goodbye, Coco is, you know, uh, emerges as a title contender. She really does, and she stays in the moment. Just to add on what you were saying, Rusla yesterday serving for the second set, a lot of players would maybe get down, get frustrated. Coco breaks back, wins it in a tight tiebreaker. Uh, she deserves everything that she's been been lauded on and, and been, all the expectations and praise that have been heaped on her. It's fun to see. I had to do a score check before we go into this, but Iga's up a break in the first against Sloan. Four games of two as we record this. And, you know, I think a lot of... A lot of the reports of her demise have been a little exaggerated there. I think this is <laughs> this is the case, Gil, where I think that she is so dominant on clay that it's unfair to keep that same you know expectation on her hardcore performance. Yes, she deserves to be the favorite. Yes, I think she's still the player to beat in this draw. And also, yes, she's more vulnerable here than she would be on clay. You know, we'll see when she gets tested. I, I still think she had a bad day with the bad conditions at Wimbledon. I don't know mentally that she definitely that she faltered. I think Iga's game is going to do very well in this tournament, and I would expect her to keep winning matches. Uh, Sloane's tricky, but we'll see after this how she does. But I think Iga's still right where she needs to be, right where, right where she deserves to be. Yeah, in fairness, she I know this feels like a while ago, Mitch, but she she won Doha, she won Indian Wells, she won Miami. So I, I think there was evidence that maybe she would just keep dominating on the hard court and, and that didn't happen. I, I think with Iga, I still haven't seen her. So when she's lost, it's been one of two things. It's either been someone is exceptional at attacking her serve um, and her second serve at that. And I think there's a, only a handful of players who can do that. You know, we saw an Ostapenko and a Danielle Collins, for example. You know, very few players who just have that perfect ability to just put Iga on her heels on um, off of off of her second serve, right? So that's one. Her other losses this year, I think you throw the Cornet Wimbledon loss in there, for example. Oh, and, and by the way, Caroline Garcia, another mm. brilliant second serve attacker. So going. Uh, the <laughs> other way that she's lost is... Um, just a crisis of confidence where where she just doesn't feel comfortable hitting her forehand like like she needs to uh but i have not seen Iga in full flight you know confident secure mentally against a player who is not a, an incredible ball you know in, incredible ball basher powerful second serve attacker i haven't seen her lose so 
I I think she is rightfully so the favorite, and uh, I would agree to say that you know her vulnerability can be overstated when you know she complains about the balls that she she didn't win any of the lead ups. I think all of that is true. Yeah, I mean everybody loses matches like that. That's <laughs> like you're not going to win every single match. So when when one player loses, it's like oh what's what's happening here? I think it's a little overstated, but we'll see. I mean this tournament is does have no shortage of contenders. Uh, we've seen some walkovers, too, I just want to mention. Kvitova wins in a walkover. Holger Rune over Isner with the with the wrist injury walkover. But nice little nice little payout for a day of not having to work <laughs> to just get that second-round walkover win. Um, more, to, more to kind of recap, we saw a run of defending champions uh, knocked out early. Naomi Osaka out, Emirata Kanyu out uh, as well. Uh, interesting timing, to say the least, with some of this. And I do, I do wonder... In Emma's case, I think it's just about getting experience and getting repetition, and Cornet is just, you know, such a consummate professional. I'm a little concerned with Naomi's future. I know Collins is uh, is a game player in these big tournaments, but Naomi just seems to be, I don't think it's any one thing, Gil. I think that there is slightly less across the board in the things that made her great when she was collecting all these majors. Yeah. Uh, no matter how much talent you have, you have to put in the hard hours. You have to pay your dues. You have to keep playing tournaments. You have to keep making yourself better. The game moves forward uh, with or without you. Uh, you have to be in a good place mentally, which I know she continues to say she is, but I just don't know that we're seeing that. I Yeah, she's she's looked quite ordinary. Uh, I think that is the the number one thing that has been kind of so strange. I mean, ever since Miami, it's it's not that she has been completely off the tour, mm -hmm. right? Because for a while, it's like Naomi's either not playing or she's winning. Yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah. It, winning, not playing. Winning, not playing. Now we've seen her kind of play and not win. Uh, and that that we're not used to seeing whatsoever. And it's just going to, you know, look, the talent is 100% a proven commodity and, and it's there. But uh, she is going to need to commit herself fully once again and uh, start to, I don't know, um, is there a killer instinct missing? Do, do you see any of that? Well, uh, and I watched this match start to finish and I, killer instinct's tough. I'm not, you know, in inside her head. I don't know exactly, but I will say this tactically. There needs to be improvement. There needs to be on a match-to-match -match basis tactics that you follow and everything. And that I would say that in that case, she kept serving her second serve to Collins's backhand and was getting yeah. crushed by it time and time again. Now, one match, okay, you're off, but like you got to make that adjustment. And I know she's made changes with her team. She's back working with her dad now. Got rid of her coach that she'd worked with for the last two majors. Killer instinct maybe, but also just the fact that I, I don't think that she's strategically attacking these matches from a place that you stand. And you brought up a good point about evolving and getting better. Rafael Nadal getting into serve and volley at his stage in the game. I mean, Djokovic, they're all adding something to their game. I think you can't rest on what got you to the dance. Serena Williams was great at that too. You have to constantly be improving and adjusting to the competition that's out for you because these players want the same thing that you want. They're not just going to give you another major. Yeah, that's the most remarkable thing about the big three. It has been how they have adapted and continuously improved 
they've all you know pushed pushed each other forward and um yeah certainly I, i'm seeing kind of the same naomi that we saw um early on and uh you know tactically yeah that that's a great point because with collins that's a big one you know that backhand return is is absolutely deadly yeah. and you have to try to avoid it um and yeah she was what four for 20. the second serve stats i think they were awful uh i'm forgetting i had the number in it my was head bad yeah lost it. yeah it was, it was bad it was really really bad it's i think they're they are correctable i don't want to you don't want to write off that what we're seeing isn't fixable, but there's no guarantee it will be fixed. So that's where we're at, where it's like, she's not, she's not clearly not the same player. She still has a lot of the ingredients there, but she's got to, you know, reinvest in everything. Um, and another player, just to kind of mention briefly too, it's been another rough, it's been a rough year at the majors from Rhea Sakari came in with a high seed out in the second round. Her major performances this year were like fourth, third, fourth, second, third, and second at the majors. Um, a player that's been open about the expectations of being a top 10 player and, and, and having to play with that weight on your shoulder, top five player. Now, I just, I feel like she overhits in these big moments. It's, it's happened time and time again. And she was in control up a set overhit, And then suddenly you're shaking hands and out of another major. Yeah. It was at that match. The forehand failed her. She missed a lot of forehands and, uh, you know, the turning point also included a missed overhead. There were just, you know, where her feet stopped. Sakari, clearly, clearly it's about nerves. It's always about nerves. Um, she is so good offensively and defensively, and she has the serve, and she never gets tired. I mean, I absolutely love the attributes she brings to the court. You know, maybe she just needs, you know, she's dropped her semifinals points here. She's going to drop in the rankings. Maybe she is a little bit like a Muguruza, and she needs to drop down. Uh, allow herself to kind of become the forgotten woman again and rise back up. Um, you know, maybe that will be kind of the cycle of life for, for Maria uh, because when there's a lot of pressure and expectation on herself, uh, clearly she struggles to perform to her peak. And, yeah. you know, you just, you look at her, her semifinals, kind of slump that she went in, right? Which was across all tournaments. That was an example where, you know, she got in her head. She was like, crap, I've lost four semifinals in a row. Oh no, I've lost seven semifinals mm -hmm. in a row. I've lost nine, I've lost two. And it just really, really snowballed yeah. and snowballed and snowballed. Uh, she's only got, got one career title and she's a better player than that, you know? She's a much better player than that. Yeah. Um, I think that it will really help her. I expect her to rise up mm -hmm. once again and go on a big run and show her best tennis at some point. But uh, yeah, I, I think it might take everyone kind of forgetting that she is uh, a top player for that to happen again. Yeah, one thing women's tennis has kind of taught us is that the number next to your name really, or lack thereof, really doesn't matter like it did in the past or it does in the men's game. But I, I agree. I think she's got the talent, the tools to still keep it going. And we'll be adding to that title... Uh, you know, adding to that single title in her collection very soon. Uh, before we wrap this up, any women's players outside of Coco, outside of Iga, that you think could be real contenders here? I'm going to have you call your shot that they could go on runs. And who do you think on the women's side could make some noise, get to a quarter, a semi, maybe even beyond? Ludmilla Samsonova 
is on an absurd level right Gamblers now. are just all over her, by the way. She is just giving money to everybody who picked. Because she's not only winning, Gil, she's covering her spreads, too. She is, I mean, I've always loved her serve. And, and you know, she's always been a really good athlete, which has led you to believe, okay, you know, you have this big serve, this big forehand. You are a great athlete. You should be able to break serve sometimes. You should be able to win some rallies. Only now is she starting to believe in herself and accepting the longer rallies. Mitch, her serve stats are incredible, and, and they always have been. She holds at a top 10 rate. She leads the WTA Tour in second serve points one. The difference since she was, uh, since grass court season, where she couldn't play Wimbledon and didn't play a match for 41 days, hasn't lost since, by the way. Uh, 12 match win streak, yeah. by the way. Yeah. The difference is that uh, she's now breaking serve because she's just hanging in rallies, mm -hmm. which she can do because she's a great athlete. So I'm all in, all in on Ludmilla Samsonova. I got one for you, too, uh, and I know you're high on her as well. Uh, Quinwen Zhang is somebody that I think will be a top 10. I mean, I think we're in agreement here. This is, this is, a, this is a player that, obviously, from China, we've seen a certain type of player that has risen up the ranking. She seems like she's a little different. The power's there. But the Ostapenko match round one, which is a tricky draw, you're dealing with a lot when you play Elena Ostapenko. She fought through it. She made waves there. I think she's somebody. Big match with Potapova today. She's someone that I have on my list as well. I also think you can't count out in this tournament, Madison Key. She survives Camilla Georgie yesterday. And, you know, the match with Coco, I know it's, it's a tough matchup, but I think that this is probably going to be Coco's toughest test going forward for the next couple matches. So those are two that I'm looking at to kind of see their level. Jesse Pagula, the top American, uh, or with Coco, I guess I should say, she's somebody that I think we should monitor as well. But those are the names that, that jump out from the less than top favorites. Yeah, uh, fully agree about Shin Wen Zhang. Um, I feel bad because we didn't, I don't think we mentioned uh, Wang Xiu, who, who beat Maria Sakkari. Yeah. Uh, she's, not, she's not ready yet. Uh, so, you know, she won't be lifting the trophy uh, at the end, although you would have said that last year about both of our finalists. Uh, but she, she's really, really great too. Uh, she's smart, uh, great forehand, great serve. Um, Keys is super comfortable, very confident right now. She is enjoy. How about someone who's enjoying herself at the moment? She seems very just at ease and at peace and letting her weapons fly and, and playing smart. Uh, I think that's a good list, you know. Yeah. And then Pugula is just steady as a rock, mm -hmm. you know. I, I don't know that she has the firepower to take out a top player on their day, but she certainly has what it takes to take advantage of a top player mm -hmm. off their day. Uh, so, yeah, it's going to be a fascinating women's tournament. I think that, I think it's been a great event so far. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I'm, I'm looking forward to how it plays out. Tomorrow's women's slate is just phenomenal with the Serena Tamjanovic match, but you also have Andrescu, Garcia, Rogers, Jabour, and Coco and Keys. I mean, that's just, for, for third-round action, you can't get much better than that. Um, Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. 
For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Gil Gross, this has been a blast. Very last thing, have to get your thoughts on other retirements that don't have the weight and the, you know, the, the magnitude of Serena Williams, obviously, but we are saying goodbye to Sam Query and Andrea Pekovic, two players that were consummate professionals by all accounts, well-respected and well-liked well in their respective locker rooms. What are your thoughts on the end of the playing careers of those two, Query and Pekovic? Query, um, he was a really good big match player. He always had a great attitude, a big game. Um, his win over Djokovic at Wimbledon, very memorable. Uh, never kind of got all that, never brought too much attention to himself. Um, you know, with off the court, at least intentionally, you did have the, the, the Russia thing that he did not ask for that situation to, to happen. Um, so, you know, Query is certainly one I'll miss. And, uh, Pekovic has had such a a winding career, uh, lots of interests off the court. So I don't think we'll be hearing the last of her. She was a real, you know, intellectual. Yeah. Uh, she had really great peaks um, as well, and uh, it's always uh, it's always a part of the U.S. Open. Some players saying, yeah. "Okay, it's my last major. It's the end of the road. I don't want to play." You know. In the fall, if there's yeah. not you know any good reason for me to do so, um, I'm glad that uh, Sam and, and Pekovic got the, a nice send off here. Two polar opposites, by the way, to just be announcing this retirement in terms of personality. But Sam yeah. Query didn't you know held the mantle for American tennis a little bit as best he could. Back to back wins over number one in consecutive years at Wimbledon, truly remarkable stuff there. And Pekovic just enjoyed it. Just enjoyed being a professional. It, you know, was able to have a life outside the court, and, and got some good results as well uh, as in the top 10. So best best wishes to them as they wrap up their more than stellar careers. Uh, Gil Gross, this was fun. We can catch you on three with Joel Drucker and Amy Lundy and also U.S. Open Radio here now in the, uh, the remaining two weeks. What else do you got on deck? Well, uh, once I get back from the tournament on, uh, on Thursday, I'll have coverage on my YouTube channel, Gil Gross. Um, pre-match coverage, post-match coverage, and all that. But, yeah, until then, you can listen to U.S. Open Radio on the app. And uh, on satellite radio, I don't remember which channel, but you can check my Twitter feed. If there is, if there would be a shortage of ball boys at the U.S. Open, would you be able to just for one match just resume? Or do you need to get, you know, train, stretch a little bit? How's that work? <laughs> I've definitely declined <laughs> athletically, Mitch, okay. for my young years. There's been a decline. Um, but... At the same time, um, I wouldn't rule out a comeback. I'm going to be intentionally vague here. Okay, still there. Still still, still possible, but not out. Intentionally vague like Serena Williams. Uh, that's Gil Gross. Follow him on Twitter. Check out his YouTube page. Gil, thanks for joining the show. Thanks, Mitch. Always fun. That was Gil Gross on Tennis Channel Inside In. We're on the Tennis Channel Podcast Network. You can go to tennis.com slash podcast for all the podcasts on our network, including three, the show Gil hosts with Amy Lundy and Joel Drucker. We'll be back next week to talk more U.S. Open as this tournament rolls along from Flushing Meadows. For Gil Gross, I'm Mitch Michaels. This was Tennis Channel Inside In. Thanks for listening. I'll talk to you soon.